Wow. Walter Jr. was on a roll here. Well, it's good to see everybody here this morning. I noticed that you remembered to turn your flocks back. So uh, forgot to mention it last Sunday. And uh, I don't know that we have anything else to uh, remind you of except Election Day. And unfortunately, Election Day is on Tuesday, but we won't know for, yeah, 10 days, yeah, who is, who is going to lead the country because of the mail-in ballots and the way that the, the courts have set things up. So uh, we'll just hope and pray that, hey, God's in charge, and uh, we will just follow his direction. So whatever happens, happens. Uh, like we were saying in Sunday school this morning, we should be concerned about what the direction the country goes, but don't be worried because it's God's plan. God has everything in control. And I said to the group, you know, God's not sitting up there saying, oh, my gosh, what are those people doing? I don't know how to get them straightened out. Mm -mm. He knows what's going on. So we're in good shape there. So, all right. I don't have anything else. Do you have anything you need to? Okay, okay. You don't have anything, do you, Ryan? Well, let's start our worship service. We have an opening hymn. And by the way, Megan picked all the hymns for today. So, and she picked good ones, too. So I, I think she did. <clears throat> you didn't twist her arm, did you, Amy? I kept on repeating it again, but She did good. She got them in the bulletin, so that's good. That's good. We're in good shape. The first hymn, ladies and gentlemen, is ask if we have any joys and concerns. I do have a little, uh, sort of a, a sketchy report on Walter. Do you know anything? Okay. Uh, I don't have to put that on. I, <laughs> on Tuesday, I think it was Monday or Tuesday, I tried to call him, and I did call him. I got a hold of him. I know Dave Miller has talked to him a couple times, and I called him, and uh, <clears throat> I can only talk, call him on days that I'm not on customers because I didn't want to get a conversation going and have to stop to take care of a customer or whatever. But I called him, and he answered the phone. He sounded fine, and I said, Hi, Walt. I'm here to tell you what the hymns are this Sunday. And his response was, Oh, get out of here. <laughs> so so I, I said, How are you doing? He said, Well, pretty good. He said, Things are coming along. Some things are better than others. And he said, I have somebody with me right now. So I assumed it was a doctor or or a nurse or something. So I said, okay, I'll try and get back in touch with you later on. But I did find out uh, the young lady that is helping him and has helped him, Stacy, has uh, uh, told Linda that he was discharged from the hospital and he's now at a rehab center, but we don't know which one because she was looking into where she could get him that would suit his needs the best. Uh, his friend Peter is in the Lebanon Valley home, which is in Cleona, and she wanted to get him over there so that they could be together, but they didn't have any room. I know that. So uh, we'll find out where he's at and uh, hope for the best. So, and I, I know that he's thinking, though, maybe I can't go back to my cottage anymore. 
uh, Christine, I think, was saying that he has a friend that told Walter that he would take his organ and his piano and take good care of it. So uh, that pleased Walter. So he looks like he's kind of getting his mind set to, to leave this cottage, which it might be good. I don't know. If, I know a number of you have been there, but it's... <coughs> It's a task to get around in that place, and I don't know how he does it because there's a lot of stairs, and some of them are very steep. If they had to go by code today, they would never pass. So uh, it's uh, a challenge for him. And by the way, he is older than Peter. So Peter is in the Lebanon Valley home. Uh, now, not the Lebanon Valley Brethren home, the Lebanon Valley home in Cleona. And uh, Peter is younger than Walter, not, not by drastic amount of years, but there is an age difference there. So when we get more information, we'll let you know. Hopefully, we'll see him at the organ again, but we will see. We will see. We're not going to speculate. So uh, does anybody have anything? Yes. Let me get my mask on. I will hold this little gadget. Good morning. I have a couple uh, pressure updates that I wanted to share this morning. Um, first of all, a friend of mine donated five bags of yarn to our pressure ministry, so they're back in the room. I know Joyce is not, I don't know if she's making them, but she hasn't been here for a while. So, um, And I, a few weeks ago, I had... Um, was well, it's probably been a month ago now I was making a purple prayer shawl and as I was making it it was just laid upon my heart that that one needed to go to Faith Baker because she was at that time anticipating the surgery and so I sent it to her and I got um, a really nice thank you note from her and here purple is her favorite color so that, and I was telling Christine that week that something just said that one just needed to go to faith. So as I finished it, I kind of knew that's where it was going to go. And then I had a, a blue and gold one. I think I had shared um, um, a man from our community who does a lot in the, in the school district. He takes pictures of the kids in their sports and, and things. And Donnie Graham um, had passed away from cancer back in August. And I had spoke to him on the phone and knew that he wasn't good, so decided to make him a blue and gold prayer shawl. Well, I didn't know how sick he was, so he had passed away before I finished it. But different people had told me, please finish it and send it to his wife. So I did. And yesterday, I got home from running errands, and I saw the phone ID said Donnie Graham. And I thought, oh, this is Mary. And she called. And she started out, she was, she was crying, but she said, Tina, I just had to call and thank you. Um, she said, for the beautiful blue and gold prayer shawl. She said, I put it beside Donnie's recliner and anyone who comes to visit me and needs to use it, I tell them that they can wrap up in it and, and feel the prayer. No, no, no. Is it on? We got it again? Yeah. So anyway, she put it 
beside his recliner, and she said, different ones, and there it went again. Different ones have wrapped them in it. Okay. And I can tell it's Yeah, can you all hear her? And if I like he did with little Colson. But the little things that he does is just amazing, amazing. Christine, you have. Let me try this again, Dave, okay? Yes, um, up here under cancer, my niece's husband, Jamie Lieber, we have brain cancer at home, hospice care. Uh, his time is nearing the end and to be with the Lord, thank goodness. Um, he knows us yet, but not. he's not very strong. And there is a time limit. No one knows exactly when, but the family is under a great strain right now, and we need prayers very much. It's very sad. Jamie, I don't even know if he turned 60 yet. I don't remember when his birthday is, but yeah, he is. They both are. Uh, also, yeah, you were saying about Walter. Yeah, I had a good conversation with Walter, and he was saying about going to rehab, but like you say, we don't know where he went, but he was saying about Stacy finding, and she has taken care of all his arrangements for everything, which I was very happy to hear. He seemed real satisfied. He, he seemed really good at talking with him, and we talked for quite a while. He, were, he was just sharing so much with me and said about the organ and, and he said, I'm, I'm laying here going through my house <laughs> and thinking what I'm doing with things. And he realized, he said, whether I can go back there, I don't, we, you know, time will tell. But I, I feel he would like to get where Peter is eventually. Yeah. And then he did say about Peter, too. He said, you know, Peter has dementia. He doesn't really know much right now. Things aren't going too good right there with Peter that way, mind-wise. So he did share that with me too. So yeah, it's just, but all these people that we have on our, our prayer guide here, it's just lots of prayers. Oh my, there's just something happening all the time. And I'll let Gary, maybe Gary will tell you, but he's here today and that's wonderful. Yeah. Gary just had his surgery on Monday and wow. Yeah, he's a tough bird. He, yeah, he is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I said to Mel, I saw, I thought it was Peter, or uh, Walter. I'm not going to play the organ. <laughs> <laughs> Can you give us a little update, Gary? Sure. How you? Uh, I went in Monday at 6.45 in the morning. They started surgery uh, like at 8.45, and I was in a recovery by 11. Uh, he said the knee was really bad, but he said the surgery went really good. So I had a little drainage yesterday yet, but for the most part, uh, it seems to be coming along really well. Good. Good. So 
And no, I'm not going to let you do the other neither. Oh. <laughs> well, then you'd have something to compare. There you go. Harriet, you have something. I want to report on Robert. Okay. Rod, our grandson, had two tests on Monday. Monday had a test on his lungs, and he had a bone marrow test. And they said uh, he has a spot on his lungs. It's not cancerous, but it's uh, infected. And they weren't too concerned about that, but he, we didn't get the uh, results of the uh, bone marrow test till tomorrow, I think it is. So, And he still has his cough, so I don't know if that spot on his lung is making him cough or what, but... That's the latest. So keep praying for him. Okay. Yeah, the hardest thing is waiting for results. It's, it's almost like this medical staff doesn't realize how much agony you go through waiting for results. So is there anyone else that would like to share? I think there's a birthday girl back here, isn't there? Yeah. And uh, let's see, you have a birthday, Wednesday, yes. and Claudia has one, Claudia Haldeman has one, I think, Tuesday. Is that what's on the bulletin? Tuesday? Okay. Anybody else have any concerns? We have some visitors with us today that, uh, that came along with the um, gardeners, so welcome. Good to see you here. I was excited. I thought they were going to sing, and then they said, now they're... I'm not going to, so. You want to sing? I don't know if Megan knows that little ditty. You do? Okay, here we go. Happy birthday. When we sing, uh, you know, men are singing and then women are singing at the same time. What? Parts, singing parts. Singing parts. Huh. I like that. Harmonizing, singing parts. Yeah, okay. All right. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, thank you, Megan. Yeah, thank you. Well, I'm solo today. Uh, Kale is at home with the kids. The kids um, sick, vomiting, and fever, so we don't want to bring them here. So you might not want to get too close to me at the end of the service. Um, it's probably around the house, and uh, you know I'm you know probably carrying something. So anyway, um, let us begin by reading Hebrews 11. And if you want to follow along with me, I um, would like to read Hebrews 11, beginning with verse 1, and we're going to go through to chapter 12, verse 3. And um, for those of you who don't know, this is All Saints Day. And um, we are going to be talking about All Saints Day today for our, um, for our, our time together. So let's begin here in verse 1. Chapter 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. And by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And by faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God, and without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists 
and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And by faith, Sarah received her power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sands by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in fact the, was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. And by faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. And by faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. And by faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and of David, and of Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. 
They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of, of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Lord, we thank you for your word. Um, we thank you for the opportunity to gather here this morning. And yes, Lord, Tuesday is an important day in the life of our country, but Regardless of the outcome of this election, Lord, I have confidence that the sun will rise on Wednesday morning, that the grass will continue to grow, that cows will continue to moo and produce milk, and our jobs will, uh, the buildings, I should say, will still be in the places that they were on Tuesday night. And so, Lord, we take comfort knowing that you are sovereign over this entire creation, and uh, nothing is is hidden from you. And so, uh, Lord, I ask that you would meet us this morning as we come here this morning not to talk about uh, election or politics. Lord, we're coming to talk about the great cloud of witnesses that surrounds us and to thank you for that. And so we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so what is All Saints Day? Um, as I mentioned, it is All Saints Day. It is a special day in the life of the church. Um, All Saints Day is a day that we try to remember those who have gone before us, the ones who lived for Christ and taught us what it means to live for Christ. Some have called All Saints Day the church's memorial day. And I do think that analogy is fitting as the saints who have gone before us were soldiers in the Lord's army. Now, the history of All Saints Day goes back to around 600 A.D. And so that's, uh, what is that, 1,400 years ago, roughly? Yeah, so a long time ago. Um, approximately 550, 575 years after Jesus died is, is when this, this holiday started. And so at this time, Christianity had spread across the Roman Empire. Everyone in the Roman Empire, it was the official state religion of the Roman Empire. Um, uh, so remember, they were pagan. And so they had now converted to Christianity. And so before any of this took place, the Romans built a tremendous temple dedicated to their pagan gods, which they called the Pantheon. But again, as Christianity swept across the Roman Empire, the Pantheon was largely abandoned because the people no longer worshipped these false gods. And so the Roman emperor at the time, his name was Phocas, he decided that the Pantheon should be given to the church and repurposed for the worshipping of the one true God. And so the church at the time decided to dedicate the Pantheon to God as a place to remember all of the saints who had died at the hands of the Roman Empire. And so that went on for several years. And then shortly after that, the Pantheon was dedicated to all Christians who have lived in every nation of the world and then had subsequently gone on to be with the Lord 
after the death of their physical bodies. Now, sometime after this, the church started recognizing the night before All Saints Day as a special time of reflection, and it was called Hallow's Eve. A Hallow's Eve was a time when Christians would go to the grave sites of the saints who had died to remember their witness for the church and to thank God for the gift of salvation and of eternal life. And now over the years, obviously, pagan ideas have crept into Hallow's Eve, and it started to take on the form of what we now know as Halloween, being more about death and evil than life and goodness, which is what it was originally intended to be, um, to signify. But we can reclaim the meaning of this ancient church holiday and glorify God in the process. And so that's what I hope to do today. Uh, Today we are remembering the saints who have gone before us, the ones who showed us what it means to be a Christian. And now it's important for me to to say just a few things before um, we talk about this, just some clarifying things. Now some have misunderstood All Saints Day as a time when we should pray to the saints who have gone before us, but that is not correct. That's not what we're doing. Jesus taught us to pray to the Father, and we read this in Luke chapter 11. So we don't pray to the saints, rather we only pray to God. But we can remember the saints, thanking only God for their witness in our lives, Now, others have misunderstood All Saints Day as a time when we should pray through the saints. I think you see some of this in streams of of Roman Catholicism, you know, praying to specific saints that they might pray to Jesus, and then Jesus might pray to God, and it just gets very, very convoluted. Hebrews 5 says, now that Jesus has ascended to the Father, we appeal to Him, because He is the one who stands before the Father. He is our great high priest, sympathizing with our weaknesses. So we don't pray to, excuse me, we don't pray through the saints, rather we pray to God through Jesus. And so in summary, again, we do not pray to the saints or through the saints, but rather we simply consider, remember their examples of faithfulness, love, devotion, and many other things, and then thank the Lord for these examples because It's through these examples that we have learned what it means to be a follower of Christ. So Paul encourages the Ephesians to walk in newness of life and not to walk in the former manner of life, for he says that's not the way you learned Christ. And so this is important for us to recognize as we reflect on All Saints Day. And the important thing to recognizes that we have all learned Christ from others. No one here this morning has learned what it means to be a follower of Christ on their own. But rather, each of us has learned what it means to be a follower of Christ from others. Now, the primary way that we have learned the way of Christ comes from Scripture. And some of the examples and ways that we have learned Christ comes from our families sometimes from others in the community of believers. But the point is that God, in His mercy, He continues to surround His church by so great a cloud of witnesses that we can press forward 
and continue to run the race that is set before us with endurance. And so the next question is, who are the saints? Well, the word saint, it can bring to mind some person who is holier than thou, right? That's kind of the thought that we, we kind of have here. And sometimes we think the saints are the who's who of the Christian faith, right? The, the Noahs, the Abrahams, the Davids, the John the Baptists, the disciples, the Pauls, the Martin Luthers of the world, and the Billy Grahams and the Mother Teresas of the world. That's kind of what we think about when we hear this word saint. And no doubt those persons are saints. But the word saint is a bit more inclusive than that. The word saint is not restricted to some Christians, but rather that word saint refers to any person who has been set apart and called by God. Now Paul says in Philippians 4.21, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Now the word that we translate as saint here in Philippians 4.21, the Greek word is hagios. It's the word that Paul used, hagios. That word means holy, dedicated, sacred, pure, consecrated, set apart. It's an adjective used to describe a quality about this type of person. And it's also used to refer to those persons. And so you say, well, do we do this in the English language? Do we use adjectives to refer to people, um, to describe and refer to them at the same time, I should say? Well, of course we do. I don't know if any of you have ever seen the famous movie. I haven't, but the title, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Each of those adjectives is both describing and referring to a person at the same time. And again, not to be political, but how about conservatives and liberals, right? Two adjectives that we use to describe and refer to people at the same time. So we do this in our language all the time. We just don't think about it. And so the word saint is describing and referring to the holy one the sacred ones, the pure ones. Now the point in all of this is that the word saint is not describing some Christians, but rather the entire class of Christians, all of us. It's exclusive in the sense that only Christians are called saints, but it is inclusive in the sense that all Christians are saints. Now how do we acquire the quality of sainthood? How do we come to have the title of being the holy ones, or the sacred ones, the pure ones? Is it possible for us to become a saint by working hard? That is, by studying God's word night and day, by praying ten hours a day, or by fasting? Is it even possible for us to become a saint by doing good deeds? And the simple answer is no. We do not make ourselves saints in the way that we make ourselves professionals in our places of employment by studying and acquiring skills and practicing our crafts. The answer is that we do not make ourselves saints. Rather, we become saints. That is, we become holy ones. We become dedicated ones, sacred ones, pure ones, set-apart ones, only by and through our Savior, Jesus Christ. And Paul says in Ephesians that in Christ Jesus, we have redemption through His blood. In Christ Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God 
made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. It is a gift of God. In Colossians, he says that we were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, but God has now reconciled us in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you. Does anybody know what comes next? I heard it. I heard it. Blameless, yes. Holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And so why is that important? Why am I emphasizing the word holy? Because the word holy and the word saint are the same word. And so anyone called by God who has received the free gift of salvation through the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ who has been born again by the Spirit of God, has been set apart, has been consecrated, has been made pure, has been declared sacred, has been dedicated to the Lord, has been made holy, and is now a saint. And so there is this massive transfer from one domain to another. We were dead, but now we are alive. We were once sinners, but now we are redeemed. We were once unholy, but now we have been made holy. And so you might be thinking, okay, well, that's great. Now what? <laughs> what do saints do? Well, Jesus said in John 13 that he has given us an example to follow, that we should love one another. Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 21 through 24, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. The point that I want to make in all of this is that Jesus is our example. He taught us what it means to walk with God and to trust God and to serve God and to love God and to love others. And his saints seek to share his love with others, teaching them the way of Christ. To walk with God, to trust God, to serve God, to love God and to love others. And so saints are persons who live in this world but are not a part of this world. Their eyes are fixed on Jesus and they point others to Jesus and the way of life everlasting. And saints are examples for us, given to us so that we might learn the way of Christ. And so in the book of Hebrews, there is this great summarization of saints that we just read. Many of them lived before Christ, and yet they lived the way of the kingdom. And we are instructed to remember their faithfulness to spur us on to live for Jesus and for his kingdom. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every burden and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. 
What I love about this verse is that it says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Notice that it does not say, since we at one time had a great cloud of witnesses, or that there once was a great cloud of witnesses. No, it says we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. That's a present tense verb. Why the present tense? Why did the Holy Spirit, working through the human author, choose to use a present tense verb when describing saints who have long since died of physical death? Isn't it obvious? Because they are still living. They are still living. Say amen. Going back to that verse in Hebrews, the image of the cloud is also significant. When clouds descend to ground level, we call it fog, but it's really just a cloud. And over the past few weeks, I don't know if you had any dense fog, but we did it at our house. Oh my goodness, we had dense fog in the mornings. And you know, when you're going through the fog, it doesn't really ever seem to end. It's, it just keeps going and going and going, and it surrounds us. It hems us in. Every way we look, we see the cloud. And this is the image that Hebrews gives to us, that the saints who have gone before us are surrounding us with their examples of what it means to live for Christ, what it means to walk in the way of Christ what it means to experience new life in Christ. Every way we look, we are surrounded by these examples. That's the image that we're given here in the book of Hebrews. And so why do we remember the saints? Well, new life is described for us in God's word as being found only in Christ. We are in Christ, and because we are in Christ, we experience new life. And so what this means is that the saints who have gone before us, I'll say it again, are still living in Christ. Amen. And so the prayer shawls that we make here in this congregation are made up of many fine pieces of yarn. And those pieces of yarn are woven together in a patchwork to form one complete shawl. And now when you look at this shawl, you're only going to see one thing. But if you inspected it closely, you would see the many different pieces of yarn woven together, pressed up against one another, hemmed in, hemmed in together, working together in unison to form one shawl. Now my shawl has greens. I wrote down all the colors, Tina, so that I could get it down. My shawl has greens, blacks, whites, browns, grays, reds, and probably many other colors that I cannot see. And some, for, some pieces of yarn form the outer edge. Some pieces of yarn are tying the ends to the center. Some pieces of yarn are holding the center together. The point is that this shawl would not be a shawl without the pieces of yarn. And the pieces of yarn, apart from one another are useless. I mean, what would I use a tiny little piece of yarn for? There's no, there's no use for it. And so the shawl is woven together in unity 
in wonderful diversity. And this is what the body of Christ is like. John says in Revelation 7 that he saw a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And now this shawl is finished, but I suppose that you could add to this shawl. I'm not an expert making shawls, but I suppose that you could. I don't know, maybe by looking over it, you could discern its pattern and see how it has been woven together in unison to know how it should be woven to add to it in the future. And so this is what we do when we look back to those who have gone before us. We spend time reflecting on how they lived and how they honored God so that we might know what it means to walk with Christ. And the good news of Jesus Christ is that he is still making his shawl. He is still adding pieces of yarn to his shawl. He is still calling persons to his kingdom to be saints. He is still hemming them in, sowing them into his kingdom. And so we can glorify God by thanking Jesus for being an example for us to follow. And also remembering the saints, remembering the ones who have gone before us, who have run the race with endurance and set an example for us to follow, for teaching us what it means to be a follower of Christ. And now I want to give us a few moments to think about the saints that are no longer with us today, but have gone on to be with the Lord. Maybe the saints that we have lost this year or maybe in years past, the saints that we have never met but maybe simply were encouraged by their writings or their preaching, saints we saw in public serving and loving others who strengthened our faith. And so I want to ask Owen, I think he's ready, I want to ask Owen to come forward here and to light a candle for us this morning. And this candle is in remembrance of those great soldiers, those great warriors who served in the Lord's army, those saints who are no longer on this earth, but are now living in the Lord's presence. And so I want to give us some time to thank God for their example, for their witness, for teaching us what it means to walk with Christ. And I want to encourage you, feel free to share someone's name out loud. I would personally like to be reminded of the many great saints that have come before us in this congregation and maybe who have had an impact in your life. And so I'll start by saying that my great-grandmother, Evelyn Tucker, who just passed, was a wonderful saint who was a great witness and is still living today. and we should do the same for others. And that's our challenge. And so just like each of us learned Christ from someone who was walking with Christ, we can do the same for others, for our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, our neighbors, our co-workers, even our enemies. And the Great Commission in Matthew 28 says that we are to go 
That is the only command in the Great Commission. We are to go. And as we're going, we are to be making disciples, baptizing them, and teaching them. And so as saints, we are called to go, just like Christ did. Making disciples, baptizing them, and teaching them to do the same. And so as we go, let's thank the Lord for the great cloud of witnesses that is surrounding us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this opportunity, this day that we uh, spend remembering those who have gone before us. uh, And we are reminded of the wonderful promise of eternal life. That those saints are in your presence. As Paul says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Lord, we thank you for the great cloud of witnesses that we have. And we thank you ultimately for your witness for your revelation to us that we have sinned, that we have fallen short of your standard, but that you have come to make a way for us to stand in the presence of the Lord because you have made us holy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.